Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Metal Podcast. Uh, I am in the studio today with Chris Hu. Chris is a plastic surgery consultant in Belfast and is the immediate past chair of the Northern Ireland Junior Doctors Committee at the British Medical Association and currently sits on the Northern Irish British Medical Association Council. Have I got that right, Chris? That is right, Trill. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, it's going to be great to have a little chat with you today, Chris. As always, we are talking all things career in medicine, some of the interesting things that you can do with your career, and uh, conveying tips on how to progress and hopefully inspiring people a little bit to um, think outside the norm, perhaps, in, in medicine and do some of the interesting things that are out there for them to do. Um, I just want to start off, Chris. Did you go straight through from school into medicine or what does what your career journey start like? So I know you're, you're, uh, you've just finished your training in, in plastic surgery and you're now working as a consultant, but can we rewind a little bit and go right back to the start, if you don't mind? And uh, how, how, did you, how did you start off? We'll have to take a, the time machine quite far back, <laughs> perhaps more than your previous you're very hard. You're very harsh on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So I must admit, um, I, well, it might come as a surprise to you, Phil, but I'm not from Belfast. And uh, I'm from Malaysia, actually, and I uh, hail from a small little town called Satyawan, Malaysia, with a population of less than 10,000 at a time. Mm-hmm. I was a little country bumpkin. I suppose it would be the equivalent of um, probably smaller than Bellamina in, 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 in terms of ratios and so forth. Mm-hmm. And yes, I did go straight through. I was I, uh, just like most Asian families. I showed a little aptitude. My father was a very successful GP, is mm-hmm. a very successful GP uh, back in my hometown. And I was expected to follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much, very Asian uh, upbringing. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're smart at all, you'll either do engineering or medicine or law. Mm-hmm. And if you're less, slightly less smart, business. But I think these days it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I came... Um, it, when I finished the equivalent of fifth form in Malaysia, I actually came over across to Belfast to do my uh, lower six and upper six. Okay. Um, and it was a, quite an interesting decision simply because a lot of people ask me, why did you come to Belfast? Could you understand and, people in Belfast? Uh, it, it took me a while to understand <laughs> the, the language, yes, but it was, thick, it, was, it was quite accent. interesting. Um, so I came straight from uh, fifth, uh, fifth form, did lower six, upper six in Methody in Belfast, yeah. um, applied for medicine, went and got into Queens, and straight through uh, straight through Queens, and then um, I did most of my postgraduate training in Northern Ireland, and I also got uh, and eventually got a number in plastic surgery training number in plastic surgery, and then I completed my training here as well with a couple of fellowships uh, away, and uh, notably in Newcastle and in Liverpool. Okay, and um, and did you go straight through your training? So you said you got a number in plastic surgery, but. That's quite a competitive specialty, isn't it? So um, it is. Uh, um, Phil, my my journey has been rather meandering. That's okay. the, the word I like to use. It's as if if you're trying to get from Adve- point adventurous. adventurous, adventurous, yeah, adventurous. <laughs> I was trying to get from point E to point B, but I lost the map a few times, okay. and I had to double double back. So uh, my my and and it's been it's been quite an interesting uh, little training career. Yeah. So. It took me a little longer than the average uh, plastic surgeon to get to where I am. Uh, but in that time, I have had uh, many opportunities, ex- exposure to uh, weird and wonderful things and opportunities that um, I would have never dreamt of. And I'm sure we'll talk about them uh, a bit later. 
Um, but so the the I was pre MMC um, or modernizing medical careers, which a lot of trainees will. I, I hope now it's long distant memory. Yeah. But um, it was a very. But it had a big impact at the time, didn't it? Very so big impact. It was a very tumultuous time. So I came into plastic surgery just pre MMC. Uh, I mean, I, I wanted to come into plastic surgery just pre MMC, and I got the advice I got from the um, head uh, d- head of department at the time, uh, Mr. Derek Gordon, who's now retired. I'm uh, very grateful to him. And he, I remember going to his office and saying, Mr. Gordon, I would like to do plastic surgery. He then gave me a lot of advice, and most of it I forgot, I must admit. But when I left his, uh, he, the last thing he said to me uh, before uh, the, the meeting ended, he was going like, so, well, Chris, in, in summary, uh, get your MD and uh, we'll see you in two years. At that point, pre-MMC, to get into a competitive specialty like plastic surgery, you had to do a postgraduate degree, mm-hmm. uh, which is a doctorate in medicine on MD, mm-hmm. a two-year full-time And that was even process. just to get into registrar training. Absolutely. Right? So this Absolutely. is not even getting a consultant job. This is just getting on a training program as such for Ex- plastic surgery. And um, I remember very vividly, Phil, that walking out of his uh, room... And this shows you how ignorant I was in the past. And um, I walked out of his office, and the first thought that popped in my head, um, I will not use the expletive, what the F is an MD. <laughs> okay. I was that ignorant. Yeah. But then yeah. I start, yeah. started asking around, and I got a, a two-year project uh, with uh, in the Department of Surgery, um, doing basic science uh, into the genetics of uh, melanoma, Spent two years, got my uh, got my degree. Um, so so you, you went and got an MD? Yes, um, indeed. Yeah, and okay. uh, in the interim, an MC happened. Okay. And I remember the uh, in the one of the first interviews I got after I uh, came out, and uh, and the, the person looked at my CV and, and was like, oh, very good, you've got an MD. Um, do you have an audit? And I'm like, yes, I do have an audit. And then he went like, have you re-audited? Do you have any re-audits? And I went like, no, I haven't had an opportunity to re-audit because I was doing an MD. And then he was going, hmm, pity. Um, uh, the re-audit would have gotten you four points and the MD gets you three points. Oh, wow, okay. That was a huge slap in the face. But um, yes. Which is incredible, really, isn't it? So MD is a two-year higher degree. Lots of research. I mean, you're just talking about the intergenetics of of melanoma, right? Absolutely. Uh, and re-auditing is potentially looking at 15, 20 patients newts a second time. Wow, okay, so how did that feel? Uh, a huge shock, yeah. Phil. Uh, the the goalposts had changed yeah. for me while I was doing my uh, research years. And again, um, it, it unfortunately is a theme in my earlier career uh, of ignorance, not realizing what the goalposts were, how yeah. they have moved, how they have changed. I thought I was on this little, lovely little path. As, I, as long as I could do my MD, I was fine. And don't forget, uh, was it get, getting MD wasn't that easy either. You had to find a project, you got to find a supervisor, who, uh, and you had to write all the proposals, get funding, um, and so forth and so forth. Uh, never mind um, having a, a small family at the same time as well. My, my wife. So you, were, so you were balancing, let's get this right. So you were balancing applying for plastic surgery, doing an MD, and raising a family all at the same time. Uh, how did you cope? I don't know how I did. 
I, but but I would like to think my kids are all right. So I suppose yeah. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. Uh, yeah. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, and I think the my children have done okay. I don't. I honestly don't know how I did it. Um, but I do know for one fact is that I owe a massive debt of gratitude to my to my wife, who's stuck to me thick and thin. Yeah. One thing I must say is that our, uh, post MMC and post uh, my MD, I was livid by the fact that uh, the goalposts had changed. I. I spent far too much time uh, grouping, griping, complaining, and simply not engaging in the process properly. And the only person who was losing out was myself. And it set me back maybe uh, a year or two uh, until I got uh, got around again. I actually went back to general surgery uh, for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, thinking that I'll give up on plastics. But I, again, in a, s- a seminal moment, I remember being on call for uh, general surgery, uh, with Mr. Uh, Declan Carey, who's he's an amazing man. I've got so much respect for him. He, he's a lovely man. He's still working uh, in the city hospital. Uh, but uh, Mr. Carey, I remember Mr. Carey coming in uh, uh, for a laparotomy, and I started laparotomy for a large bowel um, uh, perforation. And I know some general surgeons love this bit, but I was 3 o'clock in the morning, my hands in someone's poor, poor person's bowel, uh, full of poop, and I just told myself, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Smell, the smell stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It does. It, was it, it does it for some people. Yeah. It doesn't do it for me. Not what, for you. That, okay. and, then, and there was a seminal moment. I went like, I need to get back into plastics. Yeah, and it I takes did. somebody very special. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, so you did. So you did get back into plastics, and I mean, you're you're mentioning some stuff there about complaining and. Uh, griping. I can't imagine you complaining and griping, Chris. Um, who were you complaining and griping to? Were you just talking to your colleagues, or who, I mean, who, who was who was uh, who was the recipient the, of that? Mostly, mostly peers uh, yeah. and, and juniors. I would I would never complain to a senior. I would I didn't have enough. Um, I don't know bravery. I, I wasn't brave enough to yeah. complain to seniors, but I was griping and complaining a lot. And unfortunately, my wife was also a huge recipient of that. And I, again, I remember wanting to give up at one point. And one, one of the best pieces of advice uh, that my wife's ever given me was she said to me, Chris, who who loses if you give up at this point after your MD, after so many years of chasing this dream of plastic surgery, which you have not attained because you have not, I've not got a number at that point, who loses out if you give up? And I went like, um, well, I suppose I lose out and so forth because of my career. And she mm-hmm. says, no, I lose out as well. Your kids, your two children uh, lose out as well. You've chased this dream so far and you've talked so passionately about it. If you give up now, mm-hmm. we lose out as a family unit, not just you. And that has really crystallized a lot of things in my head. And I suddenly realized I'm not living for myself anymore. I cannot be so selfish um, it, uh, in, in changing my mind so much. And indeed, it, it, I, I did a lot of soul searching at the time. And I, found, and I thought of the poop incident. <laughs> and I said to myself, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? What do... Yeah. What, do I want to do that will motivate me to get out of bed and do this day in, day out? It was plastic surgery. It was so reconstruction. That's really important, isn't it? So this is not just a job. It's not just getting out of bed in the morning and, and going to do the 9 to 5 and, and the grind and then coming home again. I mean, this is something that you have to really enjoy. And um, and I'm talking about careers here. I'm not talking about specifically Absolutely. about cl- plastic surgery. But something you really have to enjoy, something that gives you... Um, 
a sense of identity and something that you really um, can get your teeth stuck into. So how did you how did you go about? Um, you know, you you eventually got your number in plastic surgery. What sort of so you had to do your re audit? Did you have to do anything else? <laughs> what, what else? What I had else to do did... a lot more than that, Phil, because I was already <laughs> on the back foot. Um, okay. I did not get too many publications, uh, or I did not get a lot out of my MD as much as I would have. Mm -hmm. Again, there was out of ignorance. Again, there was out of just a sense of complacency. And I, and bear in mind, Phil, and, and I'm, not come, I'm not trying to give advice from a position of strength. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to give advice to people who say, oh, this is how I did it and I was successful this way. I'm trying to tell people, this is how I did it and I screwed up and this is how... Which is just as useful, actually. <laughs> Indeed. It really is, you know. And, and, um, this, and this is how to avoid it. And so I was light in publications, especially if you're weighted uh, against the time spent in training. Um, I, I just had to put my head down, f find out what the criterion was, uh, desirable criterion to get into plastic surgery was, and reapply myself, re uh, uh, change my my CV, uh, look for projects, and just I I, I just need, I finally. I finally found a goal. I knew what the, the uh, how to achieve it, and then I went for it. So that means publications, projects failed and successful, multiple uh, 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 presentations everywhere, publications, and so forth. That's what that was what was required. And I, in my past, looked back and I was gonna. I spent so uh, at least a year, maybe two years, complaining and griping. Going, I should have my. Uh, plastic surgery number. I did an MD. I spent my time. Where's my number? Mm -hmm. I, I, I spent too much time grouping, complaining when I should have just really accepted uh, reality, looked at the goals, changed uh, change my CV to fit what is required now, mm -hmm. and get in. Because that, that has happened again quite recently. So they've, yes. ch they've changed person specifications. Um, for um, multiple roles, mm -hmm. um, including surgery, mm -hmm. um, including core surgery, for instance, um, uh, person specifications perhaps wrong. So the um, I guess the marking grid, isn't it, for your Indeed. portfolio and so on, is changed, um, uh, and and it probably will continue to evolve, and goalpost will move absolutely throughout the future. So. Um, so you kind of have to future-proof yourself, even in your medical career, actually thinking about, actually, what are the just the common good things that I could be doing? And you've mentioned some of them there, so the publications, the presentations, mm -hmm. even a higher degree, audits, research. Um, was there anything that, that sort of helped you get those things? Um, so getting a good publication, getting a good project, getting the, a good the, research? The best project I got was through uh, collaboration with a... a a, ju a more junior doctor. She came up with the idea. Uh -huh, yeah. So was it? It's it's again. It's through my complaining and griping. <laughs> and her her name is Patrice Eastwood. She is a trainee mm -hmm. in pediatric surgery now. Mm -hmm. And I remember Patrice kept coming up to me. She was she was the WSHO and I was the long uh, serving uh, uh, locum registrar. And, and WSHO is a term of endearment. Isn't oh it? yes, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm 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 of uh, the generation, and I still yeah, refer to yeah. her as the SHO. Yeah. I remember Patrice coming up to me and she, got, she was like, I want to, I, I've got two career choices. Either I'm going to be a GP in global health or I want to do uh, pediatric surgery uh, specializing in neonatal surgery. 
No, not not neurological. Intrauterine surgery. Wow, you've okay. heard you heard me right. Intrauterine. I'm like, you mean when they're still in the womb? And she said yes. <laughs> and I was, I thought she was crazy, but she was clearly driven. And I remember she was, uh, the two of us were trying to think of a project, and she came up with the idea. She goes like, I want to audit uh, the cleft, um, uh, the cleft patients, their rate of. Uh, putting uh, uh, stents in their ear because cleft babies have a higher rate of otitis media, mm-hmm. and uh, and even such a simple thing like that. And I went like, why not? And and she didn't know how to uh, get around doing it. It was her idea. Uh, it was a great idea. But I knew the cleft. I was working with a cleft surgeon at the time, Chris Hill, and um, I knew his um, the his practice and ins and outs. I knew the managers. I know, and like, you know what? I will facilitate this, and I mm-hmm. will help you gather data. She worked really hard. We got, the, we got the. We we didn't even realize what impact this would have, mm-hmm. and in. Uh, and then we applied ourselves. Once we once we got our data, once we worked, it took about at least six months to gather all the data, mm-hmm. another three months to write it up, and then we started um, uh, looking for places to publish mm-hmm. uh, and present this. Craniofacial Society, I remember Bristol, because that was at the time I got my number. I remember mm-hmm. that very well. I got the number when I, we presented that, uh, a little bit of work in Bristol. And not only that, and, and this is... This is serendipity, and this is how uh, looking for opportunities. When mm-hmm. I, when we were in Bristol, East, uh, Patrice and I uh, pre- uh, presenting, and there was a, this small little poster in the corner for the uh, internet. Uh, uh, there's an international craniofacial uh, anomalies uh, and cleft mm-hmm. um, society which meets every two years, and this uh, that particular year they were going to meet in Florida in. Disney World. It's a very attractive place to present your work. Yes. So <laughs> so Patrice and I went, why not? Yeah. And we applied and uh, we said to ourselves, we will we will only go if we get an oral presentation, uh-huh. not a poster, because we'll never get enough funding for a poster. Yeah. Uh, and and I remember that email Patrice we were like, Chris, big news. We got uh, uh, our press, uh, our our abstract got uh, accepted. And we're like, yeah. Poster or uh, poster or oral, and she said oral. We have to go. <laughs> so Patrice and I applied for uh, funding to go to Florida, Great. Disney World. Yeah, that was an interesting conversation <laughs> with my uh, my TPD at the time. Yeah. I was going like, oh, uh, uh, Mr. Sinclair, I would like to apply for some funding. Uh, my uh, project's got an oral presentation. And, and, and no, 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 <laughs> and, and, and the United States. And we're like, oh, that's very good, very prestigious. Okay, yeah. he was filling up yeah. the form and he was signing it and. Yeah. Oh, where exactly in the States? Oh, it's in Florida. Ooh, nice time of year to go to Florida, he was saying. And he's like, where exactly in Florida? Uh, in uh, 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 Orlando. And they were like, uh, in, in, in Orlando? And they were like, where exactly in Orlando, Chris? And they were like, and we're like it's in Disney World, Mr. Sinclair. And then he went like, okay, right. And then he signed the, <laughs> he signed yeah. the form anyway. Yeah. It was quite an interesting yeah. conversation. Yeah. But anyway. But there's a good lesson in there, isn't there, about um, actually... It's often you're often looking at the more senior person to come up with the idea, and then the more junior person just to kind of get the thing done and to rely on that senior person's idea being a good one. But actually, you've done something interesting. So you were slightly more senior, and she was maybe slightly more junior. Yep. And um, and she had the idea, and you kind of uh, facilitated facilitated it. it, and were the the grease in the cogs to make it happen. And indeed, um, again with uh, Phil, as you know uh, that. Um, well, we're in Belfast. The Titanic wasn't built by one person. It wasn't mm. one person's dream. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it got buy-in from lots of people. And similarly in projects as well, collaboration is so important. And people sometimes, uh, the more senior ones, 
either put down or think that the ideas from the junior, uh, more junior faculty are not as valid. Mm-hmm. But I personally find that inspiration can come from anywhere. But hard work has to be done by everybody, of course. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, um, but the key is working together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, you've, you've gone through your, your training. You recently have become a consultant. How, <laughs> how, how long ago did you become a consultant? Uh, just the beginning of this year, Phil. Beginning of this year. And how has that been? How has that transition been from being a registrar in a specialty to suddenly now being the, uh, the person whose name's on the operating list on, or the name on the clinic? What, is, what does that feel like? It is scary, yeah. to say the least. But, but I think that was a gut reaction yeah. to something that's entirely new. Um, you, you're, you're no longer... Even when I was a senior registrar, when I was doing fellowships and so forth, um, and I, was, I did complex operations on my own or as lead surgeon, but there was always that, that backup in the, uh, on, on the side, and I knew that if anything will go wrong, someone would come and bail me out. But I must admit, I, I was telling you, um, my, one of the first operations I did entirely independently with my name on top was very prestigious, very complex surgery, which is called excision of a sebaceous cyst from a face. For, and for those, those people who are non-medical who may be listening, can you explain in a couple of sentences what that is? I mean, you say yeah, it's, it's not a serious it's, operation. It's a local anesthetic operation. It takes five, about 10 minutes to do. And it's this, one of the simplest things you can do as a surgeon or a plastic surgeon anyway. And I remember I, I was really nervous and I, it, was, it was just it's funny to look back. But then, in the end, you you have to ignore some of the uh, some of the your first gut reaction, the the fright and so forth, and remember your training, and you go like this is one of the simplest things. I I, I fall off a bike and uh, was that I can still do a sebaceous cyst in my half sleep. Not that I do. <laughs> Please don't GMC me. Um, but but in the end, it, uh, okay. So so the other the other realization I came, uh, came quickly to realize is that you have colleagues. Especially uh, if you work in a really supportive place, you have other consultant colleagues who will back you up, who who will bounce. You can have you can bounce ideas off. You have more senior consultants who've been there, and you can bounce off ideas off them as well. I've got a very good uh, colleague. Uh, her name is Kiram Goldrick, and she uh, she's also uh, she's an um, oncoplastic surgeon as well, just like myself. And we're doing reconstruction, complex reconstruction together. And, and there is backup. You're not alone. And this, uh, the old idea, the old adage of the God surgeon, where the surgeon can do no wrong and they are right all the time, that's so outmoded. In the modern day, you, that, again, there's the, the theme of collaboration and working together as a team. You're never alone. And you, one just has to um, put their hand up and ask for help. And that, that's, that, even that has... Um, yes, it's still scary. Your name is still above the board. But with good friends, good colleagues, it uh, makes the difference. And you've you've highlighted there the brave thing to do is actually to, uh, well, not even the brave thing, the, the the normal thing to do should be to ask for help if you need to. Um, so being a consultant needn't be scary, um, and you are but human. So asking someone for help is fine. Um, Indeed, I mean, it, um, I, I remember the days where nobody questioned the surgeon, and the surgeon, if the surgeon shows any uh, hesitance or any self doubt. And then they're derided for it. And I think that, uh, thankfully, thankfully, in most places, that's no longer the case. 
and um, any senior trainee who's listening to this, uh, just remember your training. You're, you've been trained well, and uh, you have to listen to your gut. And if you think something's wrong, you know what? Call up a friend. Call up a mate. Uh, if if or speak to the people around you, speak to other consultants uh, who have more experience. I pick up the phone to my friends all the time mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, to to ask them, "Am I doing the right thing?" Mm-hmm. Even in the simplest of operations, I go, I, is, "Is this the right thing? Can you please tell me I'm not being crazy here?" And they do the same as well. My friends call me all the time, and I, and and it's quite interesting to be on the other end, and you know, telling like, "Pendrick, you're." This is nothing. You've you've done a lot more complex operations than this. This is nothing to you. You're doing the right thing. Go go on. And thankfully, my friends do that for me as well. Um, and is there anything you um, you wish you'd done differently? So do you do you um, uh, do you wish you'd you know done it faster? Do you think you would have appreciated it going through your entire training and and popping off the end as a consultant faster? Or um, do you recommend people take their time? What I mean, what I mean. I, guess, I, I, get, I get a question a lot more frequently than I thought I would. And for me, personally, I know I'm not, I will not be the person I am today with my worldviews, with my uh, approach, personal approach to things, if I have not gone through all that I have gone through. Mm-hmm. I, think, I personally think if I went through it a lot smoother, I would be uh, uh, a lot more arrogant, a lot less self-aware, and perhaps a bit more dangerous, a lesser surgeon. Mm-hmm. So... If I were to go back and to advise, you know, eighteen-year-old Chris or twenty-year-old Chris or whatever, exactly what to do, I would probably tell him not to waste time complaining so much. I think I could have shaved off a couple of years. Which, but at the end of the day, it's to look at the opportunities. The, it's the, it's the opportunities that I didn't didn't take that I regret. It's the, um, that I was I thought I wasn't brave enough. I wasn't good enough. Those opportunities, especially my earlier in my career, those are the ones I regret. The other big regret I have is uh, not engaging with my wife and my family earlier on in my earlier decisions. And uh, and you, if you have family, if you have a partner, um, you have to in, you have to include them in your future planning, your career mm-hmm. planning, especially mm-hmm. in surgery where it's so long. <clears throat> Um, and and potentially complex, you have to bring them along. You have to tell them. And Jennifer and I struggled through that uh, in my the earlier years, and we still do to a certain extent. Uh, that's really honest, um, and I and I think that's actually a really important conversation to have, isn't it? So, actually, you're not just a surgeon. You're not just a doctor. You are a doctor and a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a friend Absolutely. Um, um, or a mother or a father. And and um, and actually those things are important in life and actually they can fulfill you um, to help you do your job better as well, you know. Um, Indeed. It's, there's so many times in medicine we talk about resilience and so forth these days. We, we, we are not an island. No one is an island either professionally or uh, socially. Did, did you so when I said uh, earlier that how I lean on a lot of my professional friends, my colleagues, my workmates, uh, even some of the porters and so forth, to, uh, to I lean on them for support mm-hmm. uh, on those dark days that you undoubtedly have some when something's not going right. But equally at home, you have to engage as well you know, with your family, with your loved ones that, and if you're lucky to have loved ones who love you, 
engaged with them. And, and medicine, because it's not just a job, as we all know, it's a, it's a bit of a vocation. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, medics put so much of themselves into medicine that we cannot separate uh, who we are as, as a doctor, as a surgeon, from, uh, from, from the personality. And because it's such a huge part of our life, we have to make sure the, the ones we love uh, are engaged as well. And I mean, you said your work-life balance was uh, slightly out of kilter when you were um, uh, managing your MD and applying for plastic. So has, has quality of life changed as a consultant? Is it much different? Or uh, do you feel overwhelmed? Or how does, how does your work-life uh, balance compare now? Uh, work-life balance... You know, Phil, the, the interesting thing about work is that, especially at this stage, the technicalities of work, the, the actual the, the actual surgery, it's not that difficult. Decision-making is not that difficult. It is actually navigating um, how things are done, management, the wider planning. That's what uh, takes a lot of my um, brain power these days, whatever brain power I have left. In terms of work-life balance, it hasn't really changed uh, significantly. Unfortunately, I, I lean more to work than like <laughs> home life. Um, but Jennifer and I, after many years of discussion and understanding, if, if we've come to a like an equilibrium. And mm-hmm. and I, I and yes, we yes, I wish I could spend more time with my family. Uh, but equally, uh, Jennifer realizes that uh, my work is a huge part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And because she's given up so much in her own career, that allows me to push forward as as far as I have. Um, we've talked we've talked loads about um, your career. We've talked loads about uh, work-life balance and how that can be healthy for you and how that can help you in the long term. Well, we haven't really talked about the other big thing that you've done, and um, uh, and that was to be the the junior doctors chair for the the British Medical Association in Northern Ireland. Um, uh, can you fill us in a little bit about what does that what does that involve? Um, what is the BMA's purpose? What sort of activities do they do? Um, and maybe some of the interesting uh, challenges you had to go through in in that role. What sort of things did you um, have to navigate? Okay, I'm, um, if if you went back in time about seven years um, and said to uh, Chris, a uh, younger Chris, you're like, you're going to be the chair of Junior Doctors Committee in Northern Ireland and you're going to go to the UK uh, Junior Doctors Committee, you're going to be part of the conversation that will change uh, Junior Doctors contract, not only nationally but also locally. I would laugh in your face and go like, that's clearly not what surgeons do. Surgeons don't go into trade unions. They don't engage in management like this. Uh, What are you talking about? So this is a story of uh, uh, the strangest opportunities uh, and, and what you can get out of it if you are brave enough to engage. When I in so when I started into when I made my little foray into management, I, it was it was very selfish reasons to be totally honest with you, Phil. Mm-hmm. I looked at my CV and I looked at my presentations. Like, yeah, great. All the parts of my CV were looking quite good, it would have, uh, except for management. I only had like l- less than a paragraph of management, and I thought to myself, I need to fill this out because I I need to look better for my consultant interviews. E- eventually, I was future planning at that point. I had some insight. So I, I thought I told myself, okay, I'll join a few committees to fill up this little page. 
and uh, I I targeted two two areas. So the B, uh, the BME uh, I must admit was slightly low hanging fruit mm-hmm. because they're always looking for people to engage. And I thought I'll join the local BME committee in Northern Ireland for juniors. Why not? Yeah. And then more specifically, I wanted to get into Plasta, which is the training association for plastic surgery, and that was my real goal. Yeah. And I got into Plasta by being their asset, the Association of Surgeon Training's representative. So I was a Plasta representative to asset. And that's how I got into asset. So I suddenly found myself in three committees uh, in the BMA, which is uh, uh, a trade union, oversees the, the interests of all doctors, never mind just surgeons or never mind just secondary care. And then a committee, a very dynamic committee uh, in asset, which is uh, com- uh, comprising of all surgical specialties, and then a very specific pl- uh, sp- uh, committee looking at plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, in, initially in my head, I had the plan of spending most of my time in plaster, some of the time in ACID, and almost no time in the BMA. How wrong I was, and in which then uh, it t- totally reversed, uh, spending most of my time in the BMA. The reason why it was it was just opportunity. Um, I was working in Northern Ireland, so unfortunately, I did not was not able to com- uh, contribute to Plasta as much as I would like because they're very London-centric at the time. They're now not, not, not so much so these days. Uh, so, and I, I got, when I was in the committee, um, I there's a phrase I like to use, which is, I was using my powers of complaining for good instead of evil. Okay. So instead of complaining and uh, griping to uh, just random people, I was uh, uh, voicing my concerns mm-hmm. and where I saw uh, opportunities to improve during the doctor's lives in a committee. And mm-hmm. then the secretariat, uh, the people uh, in the BMA who support the committees, also noticed this. And then they said, like, Chris, you have a voice, you have your opinionated, and you seem to be, uh, you seem to be able to speak well and uh, make uh, coherent arguments. Why? And then they started suggesting various committees for me to go like, oh, we need a deputy here, we need a deputy there. At the time, the the chair of uh, Junior Doctors was Conan, Car- uh, was Conan Castles, and he was uh, really busy with uh, the renegotiation of ju- national junior doctor contract. So he was in London quite a lot, mm-hmm. which left a lot of the committees in, uh, in Northern Ireland, um, well, struggling for a person who w- would attend because Conan was just, he didn't have enough time. So I took that role Unwilling, uh, not unknowingly, I took that role because the secretary was great. They were going like, "Chris, are you free to attend this? Are you free to attend that?" And actually, this is quite interesting because it's a it's a side effect of the fact that I had spent so much time in training before I got into uh, uh, my my plastic surgery number. I was a very I would like to think I was an incredibly competent surgeon at that point, um, and which then allowed me to have more time to think about other things. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, let's get back to the story in which I was attending lots of uh, lots of uh, other meetings locally and my name was getting around and so forth. I didn't realize this. Again, I was just ignorant of this. But the secretariat were very good and then they, they, they suddenly said, "Chris, would you would you like to go for leadership courses? Um, we 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 will bring someone in to mentor you on leadership and so forth." And I went like, oh, "Okay." And then he's like, "Why are you doing this?" I asked them. And they said, "Oh, because you're going to so many committees, we want you to be more prepared and everything." And I I thought, okay, that makes sense. I'll do that. And then I, I started doing that. And then they, they started going like, oh, Conan's not here to chair for this committee. Would you like to chair this committee? <laughs> yeah. You can see where they, they were yeah, going with yeah, this. Yeah. And I remember when it came to Conan's time, uh, at the end of Conan's time, after two years, he was going to step down from chair. That's the natural uh, uh, um, uh, period of time someone st- stays in chair in Northern Ireland. 
And I thought, to, and I was speaking to Conan. We're like, we're going to ride ride off in the sunset together. You know, the two of us are just going to go away. <laughs> you know, because we're the old men in the uh, junior doctors committee. And then when I said that to the secretariat, and the secretariat like, what do you mean you're leaving? Or aren't you taking the chair? And we're like, I have no plans to take the chair. And then he's like, but we invested so much in you already. Look at what you've done. Like, I, I just can't do what Conan does. And then they, they had faith in me when I didn't have faith in myself. Mm-hmm. They, and, and they said like, but Chris, you've been, tr- you've been trained. We've trained you. We've given you the skills. You have the experience. You have the, uh, the, the passion to do so. And they, they made me realize that I, I had this ability. I, I, I didn't have faith in myself to do this. So mm-hmm. after speaking to, uh, again, my, uh, my poor long-suffering wife, Jennifer, and uh, eventually speaking to my trainers as well, who weren't very supportive of the idea, bearing in mind they're surgeons, and they, they unfortunately, sur- uh, surgeons tend to think of the BMA as you know, a society for GPs. There is often that perception, isn't there? So there there's, is. There's often that perception of, how this is, uh, it is somehow looking after one area of the medical profession, but not really interested in, and often the one that comes up is, is surgeons, isn't it? So, Absolutely. Um, I mean, how, how did you how did you tackle that? Um, how did you bring surgical issues? And how did you go back to the surgeons and say, actually, this is what I'm doing with uh, the BMA? Well, the surgeons would think that um, I'm not do- uh, that the BMA is not doing enough. They they have not looking after the interests of surgeons and so forth. But this is, like I'm saying, Phil, this is a catch-22. If you don't engage in the system, you don't engage in the process, then you don't make your concerns heard. If your concerns are not heard, they cannot be, uh, uh, they cannot be addressed, and then your, the situation for you gets worse, and then it's just a, a vicious cycle, and then you go like the BME mm-hmm. is useless for surgeons, so forth and so forth. The other thing that surgeons have to remember is that the BME looks after all doctors, primary and secondary care. They're just more GPs than surgeons. That's, that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that surgeons shouldn't engage in a BME. In fact, they should mm-hmm. because we're such a niche area. The BME genuinely doesn't know what surgeons need because there are, no, there are very few surgeons in, uh, on committee. And again, if you don't engage in the system, you have no chance of changing it. And, and uh, don't be like me in the past, you're just complaining in the tea room. Use your powers of complaining for good instead of evil. Yeah. Join a committee. Join. There's so many committees these days, um, either locally or through the BMA, through training associations, through uh, deaneries and so forth, in which you can voice your concerns and get your voice heard. So don't be apathetic. Just actually get something done uh, Absolutely. Rather, rather than just talking about it and... and uh, Quite interestingly, because um, when I was the chair, I was tasked with increasing engagement. So previously, when Conan and I were working, Conan was such an effective chair that the rest of the committee sort of just let go, let Conan do his thing, let Chris do, uh, let Chris do the local work, let Conan do the national work, and we'll just sit back. Yeah. Then there was lack of engagement, and when I came to chair, was it the secretary said we need more engagement, we need to continue to. Uh, uh, recruit more members, uh, get the word out, and so forth. So, so we were battling apathy as a uh, as a whole in Northern Ireland in, amongst juniors. So, I remember going around speaking at uh, various hospitals, engaging with uh, junior doctors who would come to our events, and they would do very much like myself in the past, complain to me, and I would turn around to them and go like, you know what, I don't have enough time to uh, to to address all these things, they of course took 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 them uh, uh, took them back a little bit because they were like, "What? What? You're not you're not you're not going to do this for me?" No, I said like, "No." Then I empowered them. I went like, "You need to speak on it. 
you need to raise mm. this because this is this is a, a um, each each hospital each specialty um, each region has its own individual problems. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it because I'm not from region, not from the hospital, not from the specialty. Mm-hmm. But there are if you feel as if you are a junior doctor with a genuine complaint, stand up. Take take that take that first step. Join a committee. Voice your concerns, and I encourage them to do so. And I would like to think I am I have contributed to uh, somewhat to the dynamic and uh, the very engaged committee that's now uh, now in junior doctors committee. I mean that's um, I mean there's some there's some really good wisdom in there. So actually, um, uh, don't be apathetic. Don't just complain to the wall actually get up and do something about it and you can still complain to people but make sure you're complaining to the right people absolutely um, perhaps offering a solution and being a leader and and uh, i suppose complaining in a positive way (laughs) indeed Um, indeed what's can you can can tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've seen change as a result of your work as uh uh northern Irish junior doctor chair what sort of things were you working on well one of the biggest projects we were working on is what we call the uh take control um, um, it's, it's 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 the it's a campaign to take control to increase uh, junior doctors awareness of what, the, of what their rights are uh, and and uh, so, so and and uh, and policy we, we we realized that junior doctors didn't know what their terms and conditions were mm-hmm. the, the, and it was it was um, shocking is it if it's as if you walk up to a, uh, anyone in industry in a banker or pharmaceutical and go like do you know your contract do you know how many days you're you're due off do you know how how much how many hours you're supposed to work they would know and it's like do you know what your pay progression is what you how much you're being paid how much tax you they would know that doctors are unfortunately i have to say incredibly ignorant of all those things and we, this campaign that we were, uh, that I worked on to try to uh, try to increase awareness, I, th- I think that's one of my biggest contributions. We did that on the back of a big, massive survey of all junior doctors to see where the status quo was, mm-hmm. where, the, uh, where the gaps in knowledge were. And that, that was locally in Northern Ireland. Uh, one, I would like to think it was one of my biggest successes. And um, the current chair, uh, Stephen McAleer, is certainly taking that forward and... Um, and, and and yes, and that's the other thing. You, this is this is not something done by one person, not by myself. It's done by a huge committee over a span of years to to actually achieve something like this. Uh, teamwork. Right. Teamwork. Um, okay, so uh, in summary, we've talked about your career. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how you maintain that for the long term with your work-life balance and how wonderful Jennifer's been. <laughs> yes. And uh, we talked a little bit about life as a consultant and some of the differences there and how do you um, uh, really be an effective consultant and and uh, and how do you continue to learn as a consultant. We talked a little bit about your work as uh, British Medical Association uh, Junior Doctors Chair in Northern Ireland. Um, the last thing I want to ask is, if you were to leave a final message for someone who was an aspiring uh, plastic surgeon, or a, I'll let you choose, I'll let you choose, either plastic surgeon or uh, medico politician, I guess, as a as a BMA representative, 
what would your advice to those people be? What would your final message be to those people? Okay, I'm going to break, uh, break the rules over here. I don't okay, like you're rules. Okay, you're allowed to break rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one, of, uh, one of the biggest things I learned in the BMA is that guidelines and so forth are made by com- committee members and committees are made uh, out of people and people are flawed. So um, th- that's why you need to engage. But anyway, that's not what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say, the last few thoughts I always like to uh, leave people, is, and this is generic, um, so Frederick Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. You have to find your why. You yeah. have to find why you're doing things, um, why you're doing medicine, why you're, do, why you're doing plumbing, why you're doing anything, why you're doing surgery, why plastic surgery. I tell you, Phil, I, I, I've heard this so many times. In fact, I heard this yesterday in the, in the lift and go like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, two, two clinics back to back, double math. Oh, God, double math. I hate that. Common phrase. In common phrase. Yeah. Very common yeah. phrase. And I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm very privileged to be in the position to say, I love double math. I love being in outpatients. I love seeing my review patients. I love that. Why? Because that's when, if you, if you allow me to be greedy and selfish, that's when the problem starts. That's when, that's when I meet the patients. That's when I start untangling uh, the, what's, prob- uh, what's in, uh, affecting their lives and how I can help them. And that's my why, to try to help these people. And working in breast services, why these women coming in with so much worry. And, 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 and this, this is the other thing uh, I tell everybody, I, even medical uh, students who are aspiring to be medicine, realize the, pos- the incredible pos- position of privilege you are mm-hmm. as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Everybody, whether you're the queen or the homeless bum on the road, will get sick at some point. They will need the medical profession at some point. And everybody will we uh, will face mortality at some point. We all think we're immortal until we get sick. And then we are, the, we are at our most vulnerable at that point. And who's there? The doctor, the surgeon, the healthcare professional. We are in such a privileged position to treat and care for these people at their most vulnerable point. Mm-hmm. And we must take that seriously. Mm-hmm. It is such a privilege. And people, lesser people can will take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. We should not. We should care for these people. And, and that's my basic tenet uh, in, 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 in facing a career. If you do not care for these people, don't go into medicine. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry to be so rough. And, and so well, it's the basis, isn't it? It's the basis of everything we do. We are a caring profession. I, I, I just give you an example, Phil. In my day-to-day, I do the one-stop clinic for uh, women who have uh, symptomatic breast disease. That means they, they, they found a lump, they're worried. These women come to me, and let's, let's put it in the third perspective. They, these women come to me, a total stranger, with an, you know, yes, I might, might be oh, a surgeon behind my name, but I'm a total stranger. They open their lives to me. Mm-hmm. They tell me what they're worried about. They tell me, I ask them any question, they will answer honestly. Oh, what drugs are you on? Uh, how, how many children do you have? Uh, when's your last period? They will answer me as honestly as they can. Mm-hmm. That's so intimate. Mm-hmm. And even more, they, then they get undressed and I had to examine, I examine their breasts. And that's a very intimate examination and I do not take it lightly but these women trust me and I'm in that again they're so vulnerable they've opened themselves and I'm in the position the privileged position to help them Mm -hmm. so it is my privilege to help them not their privilege to see me that's really that's really key isn't it so and it's fantastic advice for people so 
what is your why? Exactly. And then the hows, or in a non-Northern Irish accent, the how. <laughs> the how. The hows follow. So the things I always tell uh, uh, um, aspiring students or aspiring plastic surgeons, I tell them, these days, learn to be independent, but also learn to be interdependent. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to fail. And if you do fail, you have to own your failures. And then you have to embrace your flaws and shortcomings. And the other thing, especially if you're complaining about things, uh, you go like, oh, things will never change. You have to be the change that you want to see. If if that if that you have no example, you you have to be that example. And the last thing Theodore uh, uh, Roosevelt says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But those who actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who depends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who's at the, at the best knows that at the end of triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Chris, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank um, you very much. One last little bit of wisdom crammed in there. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're so grateful for having you on today. Chris, thanks so much. Thank you again, Phil.